Welcome to the podcast series Anders Utrecht, where scholars and community organizers discuss how grassroots initiatives offer sustainable alternatives to urban organization in the Utrecht region. Join the sustainable urban transformation and tune in to hear what we can do differently in Anders Utrecht. Hi everyone, you are listening to the sixth episode of this series Anders Utrecht and the Natural Environment. Your host is Ozan Alakavuklar from Utrecht University and we have three guests from two organizations along with our colleague Giuseppe Feola. So today we have Martin van Dursen from Utrecht Naturlijk and Anneke Fenzing and Meryl de Koning from Amelisfeld Niet Gehesfeltiert. We are at Casco Art Institute again uh, at their offices. We are doing this recording and now I will invite for short introductions from our guests. So, uh, Meryl, would you begin, please? Uh, yes, my name is uh, Meryl de Koning. Uh, I'm 27 years old. I'm a student at Utrecht University and I am part of the student uh, movement of Amelis Weert Niet Geasfalteerd. So my name is Anneke Wensing, I'm 43, uh, I work in International Development Cooperation and I'm also part of Amelis Weert Niet Geasfalteerd uh, and I come there mostly from a climate activism background. Hello, I'm Maarten van Dursen, I'm the head of program at Utrecht Natuurlijk. I'm 55 years old, I live in Zeist, I have three grown-up kids and I'm hoping to have a bike holiday in Sweden in two weeks. But that's <laughs> sounds exciting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hi everyone. My name is Giuseppe Feola. I'm associate professor at the Copernicus Institute of Sustainable Development, and most of my research involves studying and collaborating with grassroots um, movements, grassroots initiatives um, that are practicing sustainability, mostly in the food system. Great. So we have a really uh, exciting topic again, given the uh, topicality of the subject matter. So let's hear more about the organizations then. Um, would you please introduce uh, your organization, Annika and Meryl? So Amnes Weert Niet Geasfalteerd is an uh, action group. We uh, have founded ourselves because we want to stop the broadening of the highway, the A27, that is um, going on the side of Utrecht, and if they broaden it up, it would cut down part of the forest of Amelisweert, and we want to stop that from happening because we don't think it's necessary to broaden any highways or to cut down nature. It's about 800 trees, so it's a big part of the forest. And uh, the student uh, branch <laughs> of Amelisweert Niet Geasfalteerd helps the activists that are going into the forest and will protect the forest with their bodies. So the students will support that. They will cook for them or sing for them or, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's what we will do. So we can say that you're quite an active and action-oriented uh, group, right? Uh, in order to protect the forest or the trees and also to create awareness around uh, this particular problem. Yeah, so there is actually quite already... Uh, a lot of awareness raising happening also from different groups but our specific role uh, within Utrecht is to set up yeah the a disobedi civil disobedient group that is ready to yeah actually occupy the forest in case they are really going to cut it down great and uh, with this awareness I also look at uh, Utrecht Naturlijk right uh, mm -hmm. Martin would you like to explain what, what you do how you do 
Yes, uh, Utrecht natuurlijk has uh, sort of two roots. One is the, uh, the school gardens, which started in the crisis uh, of the last century, the, during the uh, 30s, uh, when there was not enough food and children had to help their parents to uh, feed the family. So then it's, it started school gardening in Utrecht. And the other route is the, the city farms. When the cities grew in uh, the Netherlands, uh, people were less and less aware of the farming and uh, how animals look like. So they started uh, city farms. And that is where, where Utrecht natuurlijk started. We still have now school gardening and city farms. Uh, and now we still try to... Um, try to learn people about food in the city, uh, nature in the city, and what they can do to help nature in the city. So what I see here is uh, the, the common element of the city, right? That at some point that we also refer to the expansion, and also we see this uh, highway expansion as a part of the urbanization, as a part of uh, city. Um, but Giuseppe, what can you say about the similarities and differences of these kind of organizations or the way they engage with these uh, problems? Uh, I think one of the um, important issues that Utrecht uh, faces and also um, many other cities all around the world is that um, urban expansion consumes land, uh, which means ecosystems are disrupted, biodiversity is lost, um, and also the land that is occupied in this expansion uh, more and more often is at risk, for example, of uh, flooding or other um, natural disasters, uh, and also exposes those people who are going to leave or um, do other economic activities in these areas to, um, for example, contaminants. So this is the land that is not prime land anymore, right? So preserving green areas and preserving the, the, the green around, in and around cities is really of strategic importance. And I think that's clearly a common, a common thread here. But also what uh, strikes me is the, the fact that in both cases, for Ultra Naturlich and for Amelisbert, Nick Hesfaltiert, we don't only have the issue of, say, the natural environment or green spaces on the agenda, which is what they clearly do, right? But we also, they also show how green areas, the natural environment in the city is interconnected with a lot of other issues. So you defend trees and at the same time you're making a stance against climate change, right? Yeah. You educate, you engage in educational activities around the environment. At the same time, you're producing food, you're creating community connections and community, you're building community, right? So I think that's, that's something that um, we seen also with other organizations involved in this podcast series that while acting around a particular topic in fact they're also creating a lot of connections with other issues that are intrinsically uh, linked with well in this case the natural environment in Utrecht. Yes that also brings the question I guess uh, there are multiple and multi-dimensional impacts and I wonder what brought you together or how, how what were the values that drive uh, your organizations? Uh, well, the value of our organizations is that we think and we believe that uh, people are more happy if they are connected to their uh, environment and if they, are, they know, know things about uh, biodiversity in the city. So if they're, yeah, they're more connection to the environment and more connection with each other, then they are more happy and they are more more able or more willing to contribute to um, well sustainability. 
How do you see sustainability then in the city and how you contribute to that? I think we need people in the in the city to contribute to sustainability by the way they live and by the things they do, by the food they buy, the, the way they move through the city and through the country. I think that's as an essential uh, contribution to sustainability. And I think if people have more uh, knowledge about how nature works and uh, the city works, then they can make better choices. How is it for you, uh, Annika and uh, Meryl? First, you asked um, what brought you together. I think um, it's nice to maybe interesting to mention also for the listener that the struggle for Amelis Weert is actually been going on for decades. So the highway was built in the in the 1980s, but there's been a huge struggle to prevent the highway from being built starting in the 70s, mainly by students taking on the protests at that point. And in 82, it ended with an occupation of the forest. And uh, well, the occupiers were in the end kicked out by the uh, by the riot police, and then the highway was built. Um, it's a longer story, but I think I'll leave it at there. But it's it's been sort of a trauma for the city, because most people didn't want the highway to cut through a forest that everybody loved so much. So people remember this, and lots of people in Utrecht also that you know come to us at events, they say, yeah, I was there, I remember, um, I wanted to be in the trees, but I wasn't for whatever reason. They tell us these stories, eh? so it's still in the city's memory. Uh, so when we started talking about, okay, it really looks like the, um, the expansion of the highway is really going to happen, and we need to, uh, do something more than just awareness raising, there were actually lots of people immediately interested. So we started a website, uh, it's called Ik ga de boom in, I'm going in the, into the tree, and we have like 2,500 people signing up to actually occupy the forest. Now, of course, we don't know if they're all going to do it, but just the fact that so many people are willing to say, yes, I will be civil disobedient, says something about how... Uh, people feel about this. Um, so I think this history is, first of all, what brought people together. Um, and then if you talk about how we are organized, we try to, in our in our organizing, work in a way that we basically want the future to be. So we want to work in ways that is you know, that are inclusive, where we respect each other, where we do not tolerate, you know, oppression or discrimination, where we listen to each other and work, you know, in, in democratic, participative ways. Um, yeah, basically building a kinder, nicer community. And how many people are involved? Active in organizing. Uh, it depends a bit on whether there's an action coming on. Uh, I think our core team is about... 15 people and then around like if we do a protest like we can build up to like 40 50 people organizing and then hopefully you know if the things get bigger we want to get at least hundreds of people involved the only thing i have to add is that i would really like to emphasize that our organization is has no hierarchy so we don't we do not have a leader or something and uh, i think that's a great thing because there are all kinds of different small initiatives around Amelis Weert and sometimes it comes all together in one big initiative and sometimes it stays small, but it has an impact. Everybody can have an impact in our organization and I think that's a great thing. 
So it's it's quite loose, right? Yeah. But quite then when when you need it, it can be easily tightened and people can act. Right? Yeah, that's a great summary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And how is it for Utrecht uh, Natuurlijk? How many people are involved and how do you manage things? Well, we are differently managed. We are supported by the community of Utrecht. Uh, we have about 70 people paid. Around these 70 people are about 150 volunteers. So that's a quite a kind of different organization than uh, your organization. More formalized. Yes. Giuseppe, would you like to reflect on this? Yeah, no, I was thinking that both of you uh, mentioned the memory. So you mentioned the initiatives in, from the 30s, yeah, the school uh, gardening, and here the, the events from the 1980s. I wonder if, if you can elaborate a bit on that. I think it's, it's really interesting. You know, in a sense, there's, there's deep roots, if you want to use the, <laughs> this metaphor, for what you're doing, right? What you're doing now in the present, which is actually a lot future-oriented in both cases, right? You're really looking to the future. You want some change, right, uh, happening in the, into the, for the future. But at the same time, you have these strong roots. And I, I wonder if... You already mentioned a few elements of how this is important to your initiatives, but perhaps you can expand a little bit on that. Well, I think um, uh, we don't want to go back to the previous uh, century. I think the questions Utrecht is now standing for are uh, much different than those days. So I think we're, we have to be more... Uh, look at what the city is now and the city is ex expanding you said it in your introduction already there's lots of people who need who wants to live in Utrecht and uh, there's not enough space to have all a home with a garden so uh, one of the questions we are thinking about now how can we use with the gardens we have uh, can we have some experiments how we can learn together to make a sort of uh, community gardening where all people can garden uh, without having a, a, a garden for its own. So that's a an, an quite different question than we had in the 30s. Uh, but it's, uh, well, that's uh, the question we are thinking about now. But the gardening still is the same. But now we do it with people together um, and not with uh, children having their own garden and growing their own food. So I assume that it, it was actually more individualized previous decades or let's say previous century yes and now because now we are living in a city and because of the limited amount of spaces then we have to act together right we have to kind of collectivize uh, our labor for producing uh, yeah know, so, uh, yes and not, not only fruits. producing food but also to have the the fun of gardening or to right. have the experience of gardening or to feel something about uh, being outside uh, to have the connection with the nature. Yes. Yeah. And how do you see this uh, historical link? You already referred to this, but I also uh, noted the, the 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 mentioning of trauma. I think that's very important for the city, right? Yeah, I was just thinking about this question, and um, I think, like we were talking, Mira and I were talking yesterday, that there's a a, a lot of forest under threat in the Netherlands. I mean, Amersfoort is definitely not the only forest that's under threat by infrastructure or, you know, like other other things. But Amersfoort gets a lot of attention. And I think the reason for that is because there is this history. Like people, people know it. We can quite easily mobilize people to uh, stand up 
for Amelis Weert. And without this history, I know it's really quite hard for local action groups to mobilize a bigger group of people. So uh, in that sense, this history is like super important for everything we do right now. And the reason that it was such a trauma is because people felt that the government didn't listen to their concerns and, uh, and, and what they wanted. And they actually cut down the forest while there was still a court case going on. So this is where the trauma comes from. Like people were in the court case and still battling this. And then they heard, oh, you might as well stop the court case because it's basically already cut down. Um, so you can imagine like people ran from the courthouse, which is near here, to the forest to check, to see what happened. You know, what's happening right now is, you know, it's just a repetition of what happened then. Again, the national government is not listening. There's lots of research being done that actually says you, we, we don't even need this expansion. Uh, times have changed. There's now all these issues around climate change also. And the city has grown so much that we need you know, the forest more than ever. Um, so I think, you know, that's, yeah, people remember this and people feel even more, yeah, manipulated, I think, in a way by by the government. It is still in court, right? That uh, That's to my, I'm, I may I may be wrong, but this is what I recall, that the, the worry is that still the, te- the same thing can happen because it is kind of court in progress. Yeah. But meanwhile, people are worried whether the, uh, the trees will will cut down. Yeah. So another group has um, appealed yeah, appealed yeah. to the decision with the Raad van State. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But the fact that there's an appeal doesn't mean that they need to stop. They don't have to wait for the appeal to be processed. Mm-hmm. They can basically, because the decision was made, they can continue their work. So yeah, there's no no safety but because we had a change in government and um, there's no new government yet they the the government said they are not really talking about it right now so sort of on hold but a bit unclear not quite safe yet no no no. and do you think that we will be in safe position at some point or still it will be a kind of ongoing struggle i don't know sometimes i think okay there's so much protest you know and how can they go through with this? But then, on the other hand, we've seen this so many times that you know they just go through with something that basically nobody wants. So yeah, there are a lot of similarities with the uh, with the history because uh, back then there was a lot of protest too. There was thirteen years of protest, I guess. Yes, and um, despite that, they cut down the forest. So. It could happen again, and that's where we are all afraid of, I guess. And you know, uh, there was a petition um, uh, from started by somebody else, but uh, there were uh, one hundred and thirty thousand people that signed that petition. So there are a lot of people against this plan, and uh, you know, the local government uh, is against this plan, but they cannot do anything because of some law that uh, stops them from starting a trial yeah. yeah they cannot start a trial because of a law so that's why it all depends on the citizens right now you are you mentioned that uh, the forests are under threat and uh, we, we from what mart said also that the green spaces are getting less and less so how do you see the current situation in uh, city utrecht from a natural environment perspective 
Uh, apart from uh, Amelis Weert, um, I'm quite uh, positive about the situation in Utrecht. You see there's a lot of uh, attention for uh, green, green up the city. Uh, lots of uh, big highways are being uh, remodelized and uh, make a smaller road and uh, plant trees, make more green. So I think that's positive. Uh, what's less positive is that there's a, a quite a lot of pressure on Utrecht because uh, many people want to have a house here. So that's well, I think that's a problem. We 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 don't have enough space for all these people. I think to have a a good city and also a city where all these people can can have a house and a quality of living. Yeah, that was also one of the discussion points in our uh, art and culture uh, episode because uh, there was a group joining us from Leitcher Rhine and they, they, they were also vocal how this was a recent development and how the city is expanding quite uh, fast. And referring back to this forests under threat, where does this come from? That's a good question. I think there's uh, it's just it has no priority, I think like the natural environment or forests or you know it's just not prioritized it's all about the economy the economy always has the priority and uh, trees they don't have a say and so they're just easily cut down for nothing i mean even because during a reconstruction a car needs to park there or something and then they cut down a tree that's maybe like 60 70 years old you know because a few weeks we need to park a car there you know just quite ridiculous stuff but yeah if they are not um, a rechtsperson right wing person no uh, if the tree has no oh. entity or no legal, 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 legal entity yeah, exactly then you know nobody's going to protect it i think it's a good point in terms of course, what are the social priorities, right? Or there's clearly economic, uh, an economic drive to enlarge infrastructure or build more housing. But also, as you, Martin, were saying earlier, there's also a lot of research that shows how contact with nature is very important for the well-being of citizens or people. But this is, has no economic value per se, right? It requires prioritizing well-being over economic performance so again we go back to what you were saying that there's there are some priorities that uh, probably need to shift yeah and it's all very short-sighted because well-being of course in the long term is super important but maybe not immediately tomorrow yeah. and it might have also cost economic cost yeah, when people start not feeling well in the city yes. right but yeah but it's this is in the longer term probably yeah but I think uh, the awareness is growing, so that makes me optimistic as well. So the, the, there are more people involved with uh, actions like Amelis Weert niet geasfalteerd, people who want to grow their own healthy food, people who are, uh, well, um, doing something for nature. Well, I'm, I'm a bit positive about that. <laughs> yeah, we should keep our hopes uh, up, right? Josep, uh, I wonder, uh, this, this economic versus social tension... Can you elaborate on this from uh, from a sustainability transformation perspective? How can we reverse this? Or do you think, of course, I'm not asking for a silver bullet here, but uh, how can we transform this relation? Uh, how is it discussed in research? Well, if I had the answer to the how, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, I knew, if I had that silver bullet, then um, I think what is important to, to stress is really that 
there's changing towards sustainability, yeah, and which involves you know the, the type of actions that Ultra Naturally uh, pushes forward, and the protection of of uh, green areas and and many other things, really requires a shift in 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 the priorities of what what is important for society and how do we measure the performance of society. So how, when do we say that Utrecht is doing well, right, or the Netherlands or any other country? Yeah? And normally we tend to look at well, probably not we around this table necessarily, but the, the public discourse tend to emphasize the economic performance, gross domestic product and other economic indicators as proxies for how well a country is doing, a society is doing, a city is doing. As long as we follow that logic, then there won't be any change. Yeah? Or if any change will happen, it will be very marginal. Yeah? But to, to have some form of more fundamental change, yeah, where these signs of optimism really become the norm, yeah, then I think we also need different logics. And then uh, we need to start looking at yeah, how do we measure how well a society is doing or a country is doing. And probably we want to look at the well-being of people in that country, well-being of the ecosystem of that country, rather than the economic performance only. The two things are related to an extent, but well-being is much more than economic performance. So we need to think in, a, in quite broader terms, right, in terms of well-being. It's not the economy, but of course that there are other dimensions we need to uh, put into context. And with this, I wonder, for instance, whether you have any statistics. Uh, I wonder when you, when you mention about trees, for instance, is there a kind of ratio that tree per person in the Netherlands compared to other countries or green space in, uh, in the Netherlands per person, I don't know. I, I, I just wonder whether you may have some statistics or figures uh, that can shed light on uh, the situation. I know from the countries surrounding us, like Belgium, Germany, and France, that the ratio of forest people is uh, much better than it is in the Netherlands, but I cannot really give you mm -hmm. a number. But yeah, uh, sure. I do know that we're, we're not in good shape. And also, if you look in Utrecht, it depends, uh, depends on neighborhoods. So, for instance, Overvecht is a really green neighborhood. And on the other hand, you have uh, uh, the Northwest uh, that's much less green. So, uh, Lunette is also a green neighborhood. So, it depends on which neighborhood you are in the city. It's not equally divided over the total city. So like other inequalities, we also note this inequality in accessing green areas yeah. and also natural environment, right? Which is also quite important for the sustainability of the city and also for the communities and relations. Yeah. yeah. Following up on the discussion about inequalities and accessing to green spaces, uh, what, what kind of uh, group of people you work with? Who is your audience? And can you reach different groups of people? Uh, well, we have uh, five city farms. They are divided over the city. And we have uh, five city gardens extra above this, uh, these farms, where we connect with all of Utrecht. Uh, these city farms are six days a week open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Everybody can come in. And you see we reach uh, parents with children, mostly grandparents with children. They are our main public for that part. And for the rest, you see the people who volunteer. They are mostly well-educated uh, people from the, uh, the more, more income people.
people in Utrecht. So in that case, we don't reach everybody. And you see uh, with the schools, we reach every school in Utrecht. So there's no difference between that. You see that, that schools in Overvecht and Kanale Island need more energy for reading, uh, writing and stuff like that. So they have less time for a subject like ours. But in the end, we reach them all. You, you try to be more inclusive. That's my, my understanding with all these different... Yeah, locations. we try to be inclusive, yes. Yeah. And how is it for Amalisberg? We want to be inclusive and we try to be, uh, but uh, unfortunately uh, at the moment we mostly reach people, white people, uh, with a certain education. Annika and I talked about this yesterday because uh, we don't have much capacity, so that makes it a little bit difficult to target groups or target people, but we uh, we would really like to try in the future to get different groups of people involved in our organization, because I think that diversity is a great thing. We think that, and they can really add a different pers perspective on our protest, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe in terms of how we were thinking about, you know, reaching a more diverse group, we were thinking that for us, it probably is easiest to work with organizations who already have uh, a more uh, diverse target group, because otherwise it's probably going to be quite difficult for us. One thing we could do, for instance, in Lunetta, which is quite close to to Amelisweert, we could stand there on Saturdays with like information and things like that and just talk to random people. But I think it would be easier to work through organizations. So if you work for an organization and you want us to give maybe you know have a discussion with us or talk or want us to explain maybe you know what's happening then uh, we're very open to that yeah we hope also Anders Utrecht uh, help that yeah and with this I, I i would like to know more about the impact you uh, managed to create uh, it might be of course at the local level but also given the publicity of uh, amelisford it might be at the national level how do you see this impact and how do you measure this or how does it work for you? Well, I don't measure it. The only thing I measure is when I see uh, my children having friends and I know they are have the, had their school's uh, education in Utrecht. I ask them, did you have a school garden? And if they say they have it, uh, they had it and they still remember it, I think, oh, that's, <laughs> that's part of our job. I did a good job then. So that's the thing I measure, but not, not scientifically. How do you see the, the results of your uh, activities that you mentioned, for instance, that Utrecht Natuurlijk is a network of community gardens, right? Yeah. For instance, how many gardens we have, how many people are working there? And I assume that this also has impact on the lives of these people who are involved in this uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that you can see. But I can't say that it's the work of Utrecht Natuur. Like that's an, an, an thing which happens in whole the society. Yeah. There's lots more uh, awareness about uh, food and about uh, environment than 10 years ago. So I can't say that's my job of Utrecht Natuur. Like, no, it's it's working together and uh, also groups of Amelis Weert and other groups who are responsible for this result. Mm -hmm. And how is it for Amelisfeert, uh, Niet Hasfeltiert? 
I think uh, we, uh, we do not really measure how much impact we've made, but uh, we can see that there is uh, a lot of awareness about Amelis Weert. And uh, we are not the only one that are creating that awareness because there are different groups, but we help to increase that awareness. And there are 2,500 people that signed up to get into the trees. So that's great, I think. That's how our current impact is, I guess. Yeah, and it links to what you were saying earlier, I think, that there's so many small initiatives also supporting the cause. Like at our last protest, we asked people to make uh, part of a very long banner and lots of people did that and, you know, did it with their kids and then we sued it all together and hanged it in the trees. And um, there's like uh, musicians that made a specific song for Amelis Weert and we asked them to come to our protest. There's now a brewery that's interested in making an Amelis Weert beer. And uh, so, you know, there's all these small groups and organizations and people who have a specific skill that want to contribute. So I think that's also impact that we're having. That's for sure. I also recall this uh, publicity, that coding of uh, short videos or short uh, talks uh, done by different uh, groups of people or di from different uh, sectors that there were artists there were um, uh, local policymakers or some some of you even talking about the importance of Amelsfert I also recall that it, it was circulated well in, yeah. in, in social media everything gets picked up quite well in social media but also the local media there's something I, I was wondering regarding the way how uh, the two organizations achieved the impact they, they achieved I'm simplifying here a bit, but that's more to provoke a bit the conversation. On the one hand, we have an initiative, it's a grassroots initiative that engages in civil disobedience. It's mostly to defend what is there, right? Forest. On the other hand, we have an initiative which is more about building something, yeah, especially knowledge for the future. So in a sense, there's defense of what is there, but on the other end, the other organization is more about proactively constructing, yeah. So it's two different strategies. And I wonder how you see this. I sense that this is an oversimplification, but that, that's, again, I, I'm trying also to provoke a bit. Yeah, I don't know how, how you feel about this, or if, if you feel this this take is sort of more or less uh, fits the, your experience, or if you see a complementarity between the two strategies, or if they're really two different strategies for two different goals that sort of go in parallel but don't really meet. Well, I think these the, the the different strategies for the same goal, and our goal is more on the long term, so to educate people for being more sustainable uh, citizens, and your goal is more on the on the short hand, but also to have an yeah an, a sustainable society. Uh, so I think the the strategies meet and are uh, complementary to each other. I don't think they they fight together yeah. <laughs> now i think more the, i think we're we're partners in crime more than the competitors so yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah i think so too and um we have a short-term goal but we also uh, indeed have a long-term goal um because we uh we want to create awareness about deforestation in the netherlands and also worldwide but especially in the netherlands uh, we are also trying to create awareness about uh, other threatened forests. So uh, it's not an only about a maid is weird. So yeah, that's indeed kind of the same. Yeah, and we, and we need both. I mean, we need protection of what's there and then we need to expand also yeah. what's there. 
following on, on, on this. The different strategy also allow different types of partnerships, right? So if you are protesting, engaging in civil disobedience, you speak with certain other grassroots movements, but probably much less with the authorities, right? For Uter Naturally, it's a different thing, right? It's much easier and probably even essential to speak with the authorities, the municipality. So I wonder if that's not a big difference between the two organizations and what might that imply, I don't know, now or and or in the future. Well, we, we don't have discussions with decision makers in the city about uh, where should a, a road be made or should that road not be made. That's not our... Uh, they're not our partners for conversation. Uh, we talk with people who are involved with uh, green and long-term uh, thinking about green, but not in the way that uh, well, the, the decision makers that's, that are not our, our uh, respect partners. Well, it won't be the same decision makers, but you have an engagement with schools, you have an yeah, engagement yeah. with people dealing with planning in the city. Yeah. Right. But we're not a part in the progress. We have we have no voice in how the the city is planned. So we're we're dealing with the city as it is, and learning people how about to use the city and to be happy in the city as it is. And what's called, we have, don't have a voice in how the shit, city should be made. But you're funded by the municipality, yeah. right? Yeah. So the municipality would not fund us. I'm pretty sure. They yeah, would. that's true. Because yeah. yeah, and that's that's our strategy as well. We don't speak out on uh, political matters because then uh, the, the, our support is um, in danger. So uh, we follow the city and try to make the best of it. But would you like to prefer being involved in decision-making processes? Uh, yes, but it comes out of my, uh, in, in our organization. So I'd have to do it as private person. Then I can, uh, can protest and I can climb a tree in Amelisweert, as I did in the past. But uh, from my, uh, as a professional, I can't do that. Yeah, so we can do that then. <laughs> yeah. We take it upon us to say all the radical stuff that other groups can say. And in the weekend, I support. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if it's not political to, you know, the education on sustainability, on, on sustainable food, on biodiversity and so, and so on, as it has implications for the decisions that citizens make on the food they buy, the way they move around, probably the party they vote. So I wonder if that education is not political as well. Yeah, if you can really true. say that you are out of politics no that's true we are in in that sense we are into politics and we also speak out because we want ecological food and we teach people uh, how to uh, uh, how to grow their food without chemicals and we teach people how you should should relate with animals uh, so that's p political as well but not a, a, as political as a, a, a question about uh, should there be a building in the corner of the street or is, should that tree be uh, cut or not? Yeah, I guess it's a different type of engagement with politics and it's also a more selective engagement with certain decisions yeah. uh, only and, and not with others. Yeah, yeah but probably. we sp speak out on such, yeah. And, yeah. such issues yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, to me, looks like a big difference, of course, between the two, two organizations and... Yeah, and at the same time, there are similarities too, because what uh, Utrecht Natuurlijk does, 
they help to reconnect people with nature, actually, and they help to increase um, their awareness of the nature that is in the city and the appreciation of nature. And I think that's what we do as well, only in a different way. I think we we may, we educate people to be more aware of things where you are uh, fighting for, yeah. so they have more feeling with what's the uh, value of nature in uh, in the city and around the city. Yeah, and I guess the municipality is in a regarding Amersfoort in a little bit of a difficult position anyway. I mean, because they don't support the highway and the plans of the national governments, but then. Uh, they're forced to. So in the end, if the Utrecht citizens are in the trees, the municipality is probably forced to remove us. So they're really in a little bit of a tight spot there uh, because I don't think that's something that they would like to do to their own citizens, especially not their citizens protecting nature that they also value. So, I mean, I'm quite happy I'm not in their position. And speaking of the municipality, uh, I think one of the big frames that is used by the municipality is that of the Sustainable Development Goals, right? As a, as a vision for Utrecht yeah? and uh, moving towards sustainability. I wonder if Utrecht Naturlich and Amelie Svernik has faltered, if you recognize yourself in the Sustainable Development Goals or if you, or perhaps you don't or to only to an extent. Uh, yeah, not all of them, but... Uh there are certain uh, uh, global development goals we contribute to and which we are very uh, we want to comp- uh, contribute to uh, gain these goals it's not something that we're really focused on i mean they fit i think our visions and beliefs about you know more a more equal more equal societies and a more equal world and sustainable future but it's not something that we really talk about a lot. No. Were there some criticisms about that, Giuseppe, about the sustainable development goals that they... uh, (laughs) I recall some discussion about that, but I do not have the full picture. Well, there's there's a lot of discussion. Uh, In a sense, they're shared by many um, governmental and non-governmental organizations all around the world. But at the same time, there are are, uh, some some criticism, uh, for example, around uh, the extent to which they assume economic growth, as we were discussing earlier. So the underpinning the sustainable development goals, there's a certain vision of economic development, which in fact is in contrast with achievement of some of those goals, uh, according to some of the science. Yeah? So there is this type of contradiction that has been um, pointed out, despite the attempt of making the development, sorry, the, the design of the sustainable development goal participatory, in fact, this has been quite a top-down process in, in, in reality. So grassroots groups have not been involved that much in the design of the, of the SDGs. And, uh, and then this has consequences in the way the SDGs are implemented and uh, who implements them then, in, for example, in a city like Utrecht. Yeah. And, uh, so also on the side of participation and, and diversity, uh, things could have been managed differently. Yeah, so, so that's why I was... Yeah, just I want to build on this because I wonder, for instance, if you were given the opportunity and resources, for instance, how would you envision a future from your perspective for Utrecht City? I think um, we would envision a 
fully car-free inner city, <laughs> so fully car-free uh, city center uh, with um, uh, more nature in it. So uh, where there are parking spaces right now, uh, there could be trees or uh, grass or something or a place to park your bike, which is a more um, sustainable way of moving. And well, just things like plants on rooftops, more of that and bring citizens more to the nature. So, for instance, maybe it could be a nice thing to organize lessons or lectures uh, in the forest for students or, or high school uh, children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. So um, reconnect people with nature. And how is the future for Czech Yeah. <laughs> That sounds great. <laughs> I see. I, I see a potential collaboration here. Yeah. I, I want to live in your future city. <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of a utopia. But yeah, <laughs> and I think it, it would to add something to it. I think it would be good if everybody in Utrecht uh, could eat once a year at least something they they grow uh, at their own. So they have eat their own salad or uh, well, they eat meat from a cow they see. Uh, how this this cow lived and it's not an anonymous piece of meat but something they can really uh, know what it's like uh, where their, f- their food is coming from so that's something i want to add at your uh, <laughs> utopia <laughs> nice this also builds on uh, one of the uh, episodes just i want to mention cross cross reference that in one of our episodes we also had uh, foco foco utrecht maybe you are connected i don't know but uh, they also have a similar vision in terms of consuming local food uh, particularly uh, having food from local uh, farmers So this also uh, connotates with what you say. I want to uh, that people grow their own food. So not only buy it from a local farmer, but also uh, understand what it's like to grow food. Much more work than you think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I stopped doing that. I had no more time for activism. Uh, And if you know that, then you have much more respect and you don't throw as easily some food away because you know how much work it is to to grow it. Maybe when we talk about utopia, I think what I think is problematic in our society right now is also this this very big power imbalance between uh, the government and the citizens. And um, of course, there's always, you know, some power imbalance, but I think it's really out of control where citizens basically have no say in way too many things. And even though there are some processes that sort of sound like they are participatory they're really not and i think this is really super problematic because it builds all this distrust and um if if we continue like this we're never going to get to this utopia that we're looking for we really need to sort of find new ways of of governance and working together and you know different roles that civil society has and that government has and and how that interacts in a more balanced way because right now it's just it's just crazy like even starting this court case that the other group did you know you can't you can't realistically ask from normal citizens to do the kind of work that they're doing it's not um fair and it sh- it shouldn't be that way so i think that's also something we should change they got uh, two boxes full of uh, papers that they had to read uh, in six weeks' time. Yeah, so that's just to illustrate Annika's story. Yeah, you can only do that if you have 
if you don't have a job. Yeah. Otherwise, it's impossible. Yeah, you need some kind of education to understand also, all these these yeah. these taxes. This is where we see the power of grassroots, right, Giuseppe? I guess in terms of organizing and giving voice up, but also organizing themselves. What can you say? I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's all right. I, I'm, I'm, you do not I'm have to. No, because I, I think on the one end, yes, it's the power of the grassroots. On the other end, I agree, it's a, it's a structural Problem. governance issue. Because even grassroots groups work on, on volunteers for most of the time, or most of the capacity is based on volunteers. And, uh, and a lot of the volunteers are overworked yeah. anyway. So it's, in a sense, yes, the grassroots can... can Feel some of that gap, or can, can but on the other end, there's there's something more structural. And this is where we expect uh, some institutional intervention, or how how are, how are we going to cope with these structural pressures? It, yeah, I mean it, it's it's about how the city is governed, right? Well, what is the governance models, and in which way citizens, either as individual citizens or as organized citizens in in groups, initiatives, and cooperatives, collectives, and so forth, uh, can contribute to the decision-making process, right? You know, as you were saying earlier, that there's, there are some initiatives, some participatory processes, but then they work sometimes well, sometimes not that well, <laughs> uh, and they are participatory only to a certain extent, and uh, perhaps only on, at the end, not really from the beginning of the decision-making process, and so forth, right? So there's a lot of issues there. And so it's more like experimenting and playing with participation, and, and but it's not really structurally embedded in, in society. On the other hand, if it was, then there would be also big demand on, on citizens to, to then actually being involved, right? And then is there that capacity there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You need to f sort of find a balance somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I also understand that sometimes governments have to make decisions that not all citizens are happy with like looking at the energy transition and things you know like i i do see also how complicated it is but um i also feel that we're not really thinking about how to do it better i agree yeah, yeah. and with this actually we are coming to the end of our episode and um Uh, there's a there's a question that we ask all our guests and uh, we also want to hear from you since we all know the feeling of not knowing where to start in our own transitions into sustainable urban living where should the listeners start if they want to help sustain the natural environment in Utrecht i think they can start uh, at their front door by uh, digging out a, a, a what's called stone uh, Pile, yes, and uh, planting uh, uh, green or uh, salad to, to, so you can start just outside your front door. That's a great way to start, I guess. Um, and they can also uh, join organizations, green organizations or grassroots organizations, uh, like Amelis Weert Niet Geasfalteerd. Uh, they can be active in protests or uh, maybe um, even do small things like share stuff on social media if that's the other things are too much. So I think that's uh, a way too. Yeah, so go to ikgadebomen.org and sign up to get into the tree. And if you want to do more, they can email amelisweert at yahoo.com. 
Yeah, we yeah. will also share all these details in the description of the podcast Super for sure. Cool. Great. Then I guess uh, we come to the end of this uh, episode. Uh, thank you very much, uh, all all the guests, uh, Martin, uh, Meryl, and uh, Annika, and of course uh, Giuseppe, and at the background uh, Belle for uh, editing and listening to us carefully. Um, and yeah, uh, we will go on uh, these episodes with other topics uh, on uh, how to organize economy differently or how to build networks. So stay tuned and thanks again. <laughs>